Books, booze, and B-movies with your favorite tipsy cuties. What's up, everybody? My name is Sam, and that over there slurping her raspberry vodka spiked super smoothie is Katie, and you are listening to Real Lit, the show where a hobbyist cinephile and a English professor in community college get drunk AF and talk about great movies and literature. Well, I say great, but... I'm sure eventually we'll cover stuff that we don't particularly consider great. But well, I don't. <laughs> but so we're going to cover for I posterity. Mean, <laughs> so far, I don't consider any of the movies that we've watched great that I've watched necess- for this podcast necessarily right. great. They're great. They're great in the sense that the experiences that we associate with them, you and I in particular. Yes. <laughs> we yes. have good fond memories attached to them. <laughs> yes. I promise eventually. We will run out of decoms and <laughs> random childhood movies to watch that I will, will watch a real movie someday for this podcast. For sure. But today is not that day, people. So if <laughs> that's what you were hoping for, I'm sorry. It is not this day. This day we fight. Exactly. Today we're covering Edgar Allan Poe. Some Edgar Allan Poe Ooh, stuff. Spooky. I'm sure. Spooky. Um, I'm sure that, you know, this won't be the last time we cover Poe because Poe has a lot of shit. <laughs> what? Sorry. Right. No, I have uh, <laughs> I have the IMDb up for the movie that I watched and I just like looked down and noticed who the director was and it made me laugh Uh-oh. out loud. So sorry. I will. I'm very um, excited to hear this later. I need to shut this because I can't. I'm going to keep reading about it and just laugh. Distracted. Yeah, sorry. Um, Continue. You're fine. You're fine. Um, anyway, I'm sure this is probably not the last time we'll cover Poe. Like many uh, important writers and literature people and uh, things like that. There's lots of material to choose from when it comes to Poe. So I'm sure um, we can whip out some other stuff for selected later episodes too but this will be the first time we cover him so let's give a little background on him that we won't need to do again once we've done this he was creepy as fuck yeah the the original emo kid (laughs) for sure he is definitely (laughs) like an icon of the gothic persuasion. Um, Edgar Allan Poe, he was born Edgar Poe. He was born January 19th, 1809. Uh, He's an American writer. Um, He's a poet. He's an editor, but he actually, uh, many people don't know, for a lot of his career and his life, he was a literary critic. He doesn't become known as the writer that he is until after he's dead. He's a a really central figure in romanticism in American literature. Uh, He's one of our country's, fun fact, uh, he's one of America's first practitioners of the short story aspect. We didn't really have a short, many short story people before Poe. 
Uh, and he is also generally considered to be the inventor of the detective fiction genre. So he has a lot of influence. Like we'll talk about like some of the like prominent people he influenced later, but he, he really kind of was an icon, like we said, for goths, for the emos everywhere, but actually for some, you know, important like writing and literature stuff. So he was born in Boston. He uh, was the second child of David and Eliza Poe, but his father abandoned them when uh, he was uh, barely a year old and his mother died shortly after that. So he and his siblings were uh, orphaned. So he is uh, a pretty wonderfully interesting character too, to kind of give representation to, um, you know, successful orphans in history. Uh, he was taken in by uh, the Allens, John and Francis Allen, and they were from Richmond, Virginia. And so this is where we get the Edgar Allen Poe from. They never actually formally adopted him. Again, another fun fact, um, not until he was well into his like young adulthood did they like actually officially adopt him. Um, they didn't have a great relationship. It could have been worse, but it definitely could have been better. Um, and he, Poe attended the University of Virginia for like a year but then he stopped because he was broke AF and he then Aren't went we all? The <laughs> and so because he was broke AF, he went into the army to uh, get more funds for his education in 1827, but he went in under um, like a pseudonym, like an assumed name. And he actually starts his publishing career during this time when he's in the army. Um, he, publishes a collection of poems called Tamerlane and other poems uh but he's like anonymous basically it's a Bostonian was the t was the writer there and uh he doesn't make it out in uh the army either he fails as a cadet in West Point and so he is out of the army now as well and is like well fuck everyone I'm just going to be a writer and poet and that's just going to be my life um, he then focused on uh, literature and journals and he started his career of literary criticism uh, he eventually ends up in Baltimore uh, he marries Virginia Clem in 1836. Unfortunately, Virginia dies of tuberculosis in 1847. So just, oh, shit. Um, just after their 10 year anniversary, uh, his wife kind of tragically dies. And uh, his works really, really influenced just a lot of people. Like I said, we'll get into it a little bit later, but um, this is kind of the time where a lot of the stuff that he wrote was composed. Um, a lot of his popular stuff, I should say. So eventually on October 3rd uh, in spooky month, 1849, excuse me. So he's like, so old now, no, 1849, uh, Poe 
what had been missing for a while. And on this date, he's found walking around delirious on the streets of Baltimore. Uh, he is, quote, in great distress and in need of immediate assistance, according to the man who found him. So he's taken to Washington Medical College, uh, where they try to figure out what's going on and try to help him. And they are unsuccessful. And he dies on Sunday, October 7th. 1849 at 5 a.m. He was never coherent enough in the hospital to explain what it was that had happened to him because he was not only found delirious and, you know, incoherent and obviously very sickly, very, you know, in need of health uh, assistance, but he was also wearing clothes that were not his own <laughs> when he was found. Um, and he kept calling out a name the night before his death. He kept calling out the name of Reynolds. And that's kind of the only like information we really have as from him as to what could have been leading up to uh, his death. And his final words, unfortunately, uh, were, Lord help my poor soul. So the newspapers at the time said that Poe died of like, they they basically used a bunch of euphemisms for death that would have been known in that time to be referring to alcoholism basically so the the newspapers were like oh he died of of congestion of the 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 brain cavity which was basically them like being very flowery and everyone would have read that and would have known that they were saying like oh he died because he was a fucking drunk basically yeah be shady Um, because you're too afraid to speak the truth we in the actual cause of death is not confirmed it remains a mystery actually the records have all been lost uh including his death certificate no one has those records they are lost so uh he never died uh so The speculation from people has included things such as heart disease, uh, epilepsy, syphilis, uh, meningeal inflammation, so like meningococcal meningitis type of issues, cholera, uh, rabies, people have suggested. One... uh, One theory from 1872 is a conspiracy theory, (laughs) uh, which I just wanted to cover because conspiracy theories. So people suggested in 1870s that he was he was cooped and that was his death. And so cooping was was a form of election fraud, like electoral fraud. Citizens were forced to vote for a particular candidate. And if they didn't, they would be essentially beaten the shit out of or potentially murdered if they didn't agree to the, um, the people who were trying to intimidate them basically. 
Uh, so there's some conspiracy theories that uh, he just wasn't voting for the right candidate. So he may have gotten um, beat up by a election gang. That's you know, fucked up. Poll, poll watchers, basically. So it, he wasn't really known for his writing at this point, literally at all. The reason that he gets known <laughs> for his writing is um, because immediately after his death, this guy named Rufus Wilmot Griswold writes an obituary for him. And Griswold is actually um, noted as Poe's like rival in the business like they're not friends they're like nemeses <laughs> so yeah. griswold writes poe's obituary and he writes it basically just slandering the shit out of poe he's a lunatic he's a madman he quote uh walked the streets in madness or melancholy Holly, with lips moving in distinct curses or with eyes upturned in passionate prayers never for himself for he felt or possessed to feel that he was already damned uh, and <laughs> uh, the piece that was his obituary actually became super popular and pu was published throughout the entirety of the United States uh, because when people read it they were like oh this is like a fucking crazy madman who like like drank a whole lot and was like obsessed with death and like thought that he was gonna like be damned and then he like disappeared and then he died under mysterious circumstances like that shit's metal as fuck I definitely want to read this dude's stuff <laughs> is basically what happened yeah and it had the opposite effect of what Griswold wanted basically he was trying very hard to to make him basically a shameful figure in history that no one would ever want to read or ever talk about. And instead Griswold really rocketed his persona into notoriety much more so than it had ever been before. And we probably wouldn't know of his stuff without Griswold's uh, really ridiculously false uh, and angry obituary and it's funny because he worked really hard on this obituary like he worked super hard uh to slander the shit out of poe and in f it, he even writes a biographical article after the obituary to continue to try and like get the correct response from the public and it just makes it worse but he writes memoir of an author uh that depicts Poe basically as just this, uh, <laughs> sorry, hold on. No, no lives matter. That's great. That's, uh, that's some wonderful shit right there. Prime, they saw the opportunity and they were like, I can take it or I can let it pass me by. And they took that shit yep. and I applaud that. <laughs> that's fantastic. That is fantastic. 
Oh, fuck. Where was I? Sorry. No, you're um, fine. I just totally lost it. And, and he fucked up, and now Poe's notoriety was on, like, there was nothing that he could do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he just, it didn't matter what Griswold was doing. It just didn't work the way he wanted it to, even though his biography of Poe became, like, the accepted, like, biographical source of Poe. Um, it was only the full biography that was available and was like widely reprinted. And so that's kind of basically why it was widely accepted for so long because he did, he really, really tried to like paint this guy as evil, but like people just like thought that was cool. You know, Uh, he and Griswold even tried to provide like proof, like via like letters and papers that like kind of proved Poe's, assholishness uh and actually later on in life they are proved to be forgeries like griswold was just so angry at poe's like resurgence due to his own hands yeah that he like was trying to like fake shit to like make him look bad Uh, and he forged a bunch of (laughs) like letters and stuff uh all to no avail um so the unfortunate thing is that after Poe's death, Griswold convinced um, Virginia's mother, Poe's mother-in-law, to sign away the rights to his works. So um, Griswold, despite uh, not getting the the uh, reaction he wanted, he uh, was able to publish the collected works of Poe to give himself some sort of uh, monetary uh, soothing salve to his ego, I guess, unfortunately. What a mess. Yeah, a huge fucking mess. So in terms of like literary theory and like content, we've talked about it. Poe is the original emo boy. He's a, uh, a, uh, the quintessential like gothic fiction writer basically uh his themes are absolutely centered like a thousand percent on death just all the time and in particular he's a very like we would call him probably like grimdark today or uh like uh slashery uh he was very uh focused on the physicalities of death and like the physicalities of like uh, extreme horror. So decomposition, uh, being buried alive, uh, dead bodies reanimating, you know, zombies, all that type of stuff. Um, He was a huge writer in that uh, type of area. And he, so I'm skipping a bunch of this stuff that no one needs to talk about. Um, he really didn't like the idea of people taking lessons from his um, stories. He um, really rejected like the whole like didactic type of 
allegorical writings that were done uh, in his day and age that like all, you know, good literature has meaning. It should, there should be, you know, this uh, profound allegorical, spiritual, you know, religious enlightenment. He didn't believe that. He believed definitely that all literature, you know, good literature should have meaning and it should be that like, you know, undercurrents of uh, just below the surface of whatever like narrative you're reading, but he really, really um, hated like the kind of beat you over the head with it type of lessons that people really um, thought were important in art. Uh, he thought that that kind of made it suddenly anti-art. Uh, once you did that, you were ceasing to actually engage in like the true spirit of what art is supposed to be, basically. Um, it's not supposed to have a single specific effect. It's supposed to affect everyone and it's supposed to affect everyone slightly differently. Um, so he essentially inspired uh, and influenced many important people in writing, uh, just to name a few, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was uh, actually greatly um, popularized by Poe when he was a literary critic. He liked Longfellow and wrote him up a lot as a literary critic. Critic, and so Longfellow like became popular, and in turn like was influenced by Poe and Poe's, you know, like existence and presence in the, the profession. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was heavily influenced by Poe. Uh, the, uh, the crazy uh, science fiction writers, Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, um, Nabokov was very influenced by him Bradbury, Ray Bradbury was very heavily influenced by him. The uh, European uh, translations of his works were done a lot by Charles Baudelaire, who of course in translating it uh, became very enmeshed in Poe's work and he too was very influenced by him. And uh, here's some last kind of uh, fun facts about him just to kind of throw in there because these are great uh trivia answers someday you're welcome when you are in that bar doing tuesday night trivia uh they'll ask this question and you'll fucking know the answer to it because you listen to me uh the baltimore ravens in uh nfl the ravens are a direct reference to edgar Allan poe's the Raven. That is why uh, Baltimore chose Ravens as their mascot. And uh, another fun trivia, he loved cryptography and ciphers, and he actually heavily inspired our foremost cryptographist in America, William Friedman. Uh, Poe is like a direct heavily influence in his cryptography that he is so known for today. So that's Poe. Um, with that, he wrote a lot of shit, like a lot of shit. Uh, and I have two pieces. Uh, I figured it was fair to do one short story and one uh, poem 
for him because he that's what he wrote. He only ever wrote one full length novel uh, and the rest of his writing is poetry and short stories. So several in both are things that he is known for, but we're just gonna cover one short story and one poem that is pretty iconic for Poe. We all know them. Uh, we all at least know the titles of them. So the short story that I'm gonna cover first is The Telltale Heart Ooh. by Edgar Allan Poe. So um, The Telltale Heart uh, is a short story. It's a, it's a pretty short story, to be perfectly honest. It's not very long. Like for the amount of like criticism and discussion that happens on it, it's pretty fucking short. Um, the entirety of the the actions and the narrative of the Telltale Heart go like this. So our narrator opens up basically saying that he's not crazy. Y'all think I'm crazy, but I'm not, basically. So I'm going to tell you exactly what happened, and I'm going to prove to you that I'm not crazy by telling you all this, basically. So... The narrator is a caretaker or relative or something of an older man. And he he's he's a caretaker, like he's some sort of caregiver position. It's not clear in the narrative if he is related to the old man, if he's just an employee of the old man, we don't know. But he's in this position and the old man uh has this eye that is uh described as vulture like and filmy blue basically so we're thinking you know cataracts blindness is that a glass eye who fucking knows again we're not given the like super details of it but our narrator hates this eye it bothers the shit out of him and he says i eventually knew that i had to kill the old man because of his eye basically and uh he loved he quote loved the old man he was great to the old man he you know took care of him a whole bunch he you know didn't want his money he didn't you know, want anything from him. The old man never treated him bad, but that eye was just too much for him. <laughs> so he was like, I clearly had to kill him. So every night for a week, basically, he's this creeper. And in like the middle of the night, he like opens the door to the old man's bedroom and like turns the lantern on to look at him to see if it's the right time for him to kill the old man yet. But each time the dude's asleep and so his eye is not open. So it's not, he can't kill him yet. Quote, question mark, question mark is the like, <laughs> the, 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 the like vibe that the narrator gives off. Like, but his eye was always closed. Like, damn it, I cannot kill him tonight. The eye of is not open. Of course he's and fucking closed, bruh. He was asleep. <laughs> so That's like, what people do when they're asleep. They close so like, their I'll, eyes. 
for real. So, but apparently he couldn't kill him because the eye was not looking directly at him, I guess. Uh, so a week goes by of him doing this. Doesn't happen. Uh, finally, the eighth night, as he's <laughs> doing his creeper uh, routine at this point, he accidentally makes a noise when he does it. And so it wakes the old man up. And the old man sits up in bed and is just like, who's there? And the the uh, narrator doesn't do anything. They like just sit there in silence like fucking freaks for a long ass time. But the old man doesn't go back to sleep. He's like, he's kind of breathing real heavy. He's still sitting up. And so finally uh the dude our narrator turns on his lantern like he's done every other night and of course because the old man is awake now and sitting up and terrified because someone's in his fucking room the eye is open so the dude is like oh shit it's open this is the night this is the night but he like hesitates and as he's hesitating, he can hear the old man's heart beating, obviously in terror, because what the fuck? Uh, and the beating of his heart is so loud that finally the narrator is like, oh shit, what if the neighbor hears his heart beating? And so this finally like, propels the narrator to act. So he lunges forward, the old man shrieks, once the dude drags him onto the floor and he like crushes him by like putting his bed on top of him so he like drags him off of the bed (laughs) and throws him on the floor and then takes his bed and puts the bed on top of the old man and just like waits until he dies that way so once he's dead he like checks and makes sure you know for a while like nope no heartbeat nope no breath all right you're fucking dead so when he's dead he dismembers the old man's body and he pulls up the floorboards of the old man's bedroom and he puts the body parts under the floor and then he seals the floorboards back up and this takes him several hours of course so at about four in the morning at this point there's a knock at the door and it's police and the police show up because they were like hey yeah um someone in your neighborhood like heard a shriek come from the house it's like is everything okay and our narrator's like oh yeah like everything's fine oh that sucks that was probably just like me um yeah like I woke up from like a nightmare I I'm pretty sure I screamed like yeah that was probably just me and they were like all right well we need to like take a look around your house and he's like yeah absolutely please come in take a look around the house he you know like leads them in and they're like where's the old man that lives here and he's like oh you know he's out in the country uh you know I'm here by myself and they're like all right cool cool uh and so he's like please come in here into the old man's bedroom and we can you know you can ask me questions here so they're sitting in the old man's bedroom uh after a while however the police are asking him questions and he thinks that he can hear the old man's heart beating again and just like before it's getting louder and louder and he's like trying to play it off but he can't because he's like 
trying to be loud and he's acting erratically now and he's like pacing and is sweating and it's just like like trying to like freaking the fuck out and it's bothering him so much uh and finally he's sure that they can hear like it's so loud that he's like there's no way they can't hear it they definitely hear it they're just pretending that they can't because they're torturing me basically they're they're just playing along with it because they know they know what i've done so finally he just cries out and he drops to the floor and he rips open the floor and points to the body parts of the old man and says here it is i yep i did it (laughs) psychosis is a hell of a thing of the telltale heart um so like uh people talk a lot about this meaning guilt obviously um guilty conscience the guilty conscience yeah exactly uh the thing that i always think about whenever i reread this and think about the telltale heart again is that i would consider guilt to be the the primary purpose if the heart hadn't started doing its thing to him before he even killed the old man but before he even kills the old man he hears the old man's heartbeat and like it gets super loud and loud and loud and loud again and like freaks him out before he even kills him like before the preoccupation was with the the old man's eye it wasn't with the old man's heart the old man's heart only becomes fucking strange right before he kills him and then he kills him and then the heart happens again and i just kind of feel like you think he would make the one thing that caused the narrator to kill the old man in the first place which was the fucked up eye you'd think that you would just keep that motif it's pretty simple and it's a pretty short story um like maybe i can just feel the piercing gaze of his eye like you know something rather than like the heartbeat it just seems to me a little like there's something else there that isn't necessarily just like the guilty conscience and the other thing that to me doesn't scream guilt being the overriding theme is because the entire point of the story is that he's telling us the story to try and prove to us that he's not mad that he's not insane so that like tells me that like he doesn't feel guilt he doesn't like he literally says like this legitimately happened if it wasn't for me hearing that heartbeat I would have gotten away with murder because I was fucking cool as a cool as a cucumber. Like I let them in. I was like, I don't give a fuck. Like I was super ready to like play all of this off. And it was just that heartbeat that like fucking gave me away. And, but I'm not fucking crazy. And it's like, well, obviously you are, but also like the fact that, I don't know, there's something that just bothers me about like, kind of writing off the whole short story as like guilt because the other thing is like why did he kill the old man in the first place (laughs) because the eye is just not very like why does the eye bother you so much if you don't already have a guilty conscience i bothers him because he's crazy because he's crazy 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, like if the the man was clearly crazy because he was hearing things that obviously weren't happening, right? So we know there's some form of psychosis there, whether it. But be- what if he's just hearing? But what if he's just hearing his like heartbeat in his own ears? You know, like yeah. when you're so worked okay, up that you're hearing that. That's fine, but he's imagining it being the heartbeat of a man that he just killed. So he's crazy. He can't differentiate his own heartbeat between the heartbeat of a clearly dead body that you buried under the floorboards. There's some type of psychosis there. So his fair, yeah, yeah. So him okay. him wanting to kill a guy over a busted eye like makes more sense <laughs> if you can if understand. If you understand that there's something mental going on there, you know, there it's such a short yeah. story that we don't ever get into or get to find out why he was crazy. Because, right. you know, when you were talking about Poe at the time of Poe's death, you know, who knows what he died from alcohol, like being right. crazy from alcoholism, being crazy from the side effects of syphilis, being crazy from all of these other things like at the time when this was written and that the story takes place, there are a hundred diseases or sicknesses that this man could yeah. have had, like meningitis, uh, yeah. that would just <laughs> fuck up his brain to the point where... For real, yeah, yeah, definitely. This, this old dude looked at me weird once, and now I have to kill that guy. Like, Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, there are some nowadays we have fucking medicine that helps us deal with it but back yeah. in those days those type of issues absolutely if they wouldn't have had like strong ass antibiotics like yeah meningitis was gonna fuck your brain ass up like exactly for real so so if he caught- i guess i just kind of think i guess my biggest thing is just that i personally think that poe meant for us to wonder what happened before the story that's my well, that's- take well, I mean, that's fair. And I do wonder what happened to the story, but I'm not wondering. For me, the wonder isn't necessarily what the old man did to the young man to make him want to kill him, but what happened to the young man that made to him make crazy. Him like this. Yeah. That made him okay. crazy. Because for me, it's very clear that there's some type of psychosis happening there. Like something's wrong with him. Like wanting to just kill someone regardless regardless of what they did to you regardless of what they did to you but specifically because of some physical deformity that a person has like that's some fucked up psychosis problem and um yeah that's that's more what i'm curious about uh after the story is like why you're right why was this crazy not necessarily why did he want to kill the old guy because the from seemingly right. the old guy did nothing wrong and even if the old guy did something wrong like you don't just kill folks what, so. you're right but you no 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 you you have a fair point like was this a psychosis that was always there or was there some event that triggered the psychosis no yeah i can see i can see what you're talking about yeah All right and then if he can't like like you said if he's hearing his own heartbeat if he's already crazy which clearly he is because he killed a dude mm-hmm. over his eye being open <laughs> Like <laughs> he wouldn't have been able to differentiate anything anyways. The heartbeat that he heard in the bedroom might not have been the old man's heartbeat. It might've been his heartbeat because he was trying to stay right. dead silent. So the old man didn't hear him. So maybe both times he was hearing his own heart and he just attributed it to the old man because he was scared or freaked out or trying to be dead quiet. You know, right. who knows? We don't know. We don't. 
which is part of Poe's uh, wonderful uh, enigma, the mystery that surrounds him and his uh, stuff, for sure. So that was the telltale part. And then the second one that I prepped is a poem, um, perhaps the uh, most well-known Edgar Allan Poe poem. This is The Raven. So the Raven, first of all, is a beautiful, beautiful poem read aloud. And it's so much like, I have like a personal thing about poetry that like, it's supposed to be read aloud. You're supposed to hear it and not just read it. Like I have a thing about it. There are sometimes like I won't do it if they're super too long. Like if I know that like I'm pressed for time and stuff, but when it comes to the Raven, it's not so long that I feel bad about doing it and then describing what's going on in it, like what we've just listened to. Uh, so I'm actually going to read it aloud and yes. then break down in layman's terms what the fuck we just listened to, basically. So this is The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. To some visitor, I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly I remember it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow. Vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow, sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before. So that now to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating to some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door. This it is and nothing more. Presently, my soul grew stronger hesitating then no longer. Sir, I said, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping and so gently you came rapping and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there wondering fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the darkness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning. Soon again, I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. 
Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is in this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter when with many a flirt and flutter in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeisance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mine of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, Though thy crest be shorn and shaven, thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door. Bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door with such name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless, said I, what it utters is it's only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling my sad fancy into smiling. Straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then, Upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking, nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er, she shall press a uh, nevermore. Then methought the air grew denser, perfumed from an unseen censer swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe and forget this lost Lenore. 
quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still of bird or devil, by the heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels lay Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked, upstarting. Get thee back into the tempest in the night's plutonian shore. Leave no black plume as the token of that lie thy soul hath spoken. Leave my loneliness unbroken. Quit the bust above my door. Take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door. Quoth the raven, nevermore. And the raven, never flitting still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore. Thanks, I got a thumb ups from Kevin, you guys, or Kevin, from Katie, you guys. It was Thanks. so good. That was great. Thanks. So that's the Raven. So let's talk a little bit about what we just listened to, okay? Uh, let's go over the Raven's actual uh, events in layman's terms. Yeah, so this man is hanging out in his house, and he's reading... He's thinking of a dead lover, a dead wife. Yeah, I assume it was his wife. Uh, Her name is Lenore. Uh, If you recognize that name, pause. We'll talk about it a little later. But uh, so he's falling asleep, reading, thinking about this dead lover, this dead wife. Uh, And something knocks on his door and he wakes up and he's like, eh. I'm too sleepy, but the knocking keeps going. So he's like, okay, all right. Hey, give me a minute. All right, I'm here. Sorry, I was like napping. Sorry, my bad, dude. And he opens the door, but there's nobody fucking there. So he's freaked the fuck out. And he stands there staring for a while out into the darkness. And he whispers his dead lover's name. And he hears it whispered back to him from the darkness. And this freaks him out even more. So he closes the door. uh, And then when he closes the door, now he hears a tapping at the window. And he's like, literally WTF, what the fuck is happening? Okay, whatever. Like, it's just the wind. It's just the fucking wind, Poe. Come on. Like, we can do this. So he goes to the window. Get it together, (laughs) man. Get it together. It's just the wind. So Be he brave. Goes, <laughs> and he looks 
uh, and he opens the window and it's a raven that has tapped at his window. And the minute he opens the window, the raven flies in and the raven perches above his door uh, on a statue. This statue is called Palace by Poe. Well, we'll talk about that later as well as well. Um, but there's a, there's essentially like a bust, like um, you know when you like walk in and you see um, the statues that are just of like someone's like chesticles up? Mm-hmm that like sits that uh so that's what a bust is and that is like he has one that's like above his door basically and that's where the raven goes and perches on and it's a palace and he just kind of sits there and hangs out and the dude's like okay damn you're like a fancy little bird you know like all right i'm into birds i'm cool i'm cool with this like what's your name cute little bird and the bird actually answers him back the bird answers nevermore back after asked what's his name so now he's like okay you can talk all right well that's cool so i've got a talking bird um that that's fun uh and he is thinking you know like this is, this is an interesting night, you know, like this bird is going to be gone in the morning, but I'm kind of like having fun now, you know, like this is like entertaining. And as he's thinking that and thinking that the bird is going to leave him eventually, the bird again says nevermore, almost like in response to his thoughts. So uh, he's like a little freaked out by that now. And he's like, okay, so this is twice now he said that word. Uh, it just has to be like, this bird must have been a domesticated bird. He must have like been someone's pet and his former master was like dealing with some, some really bad shit for a long time and kept saying nevermore, nevermore, nevermore. And that the bird just probably learned that word. You know, that's just ha what it knows. It can't be that this bird is sentient because that doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> uh, you know, the bird just learned this. Uh, so he is like, whatever. I have a super smart ass can repeat the words that it's former, you know, owner learned sitting in my room I'll just hang out with this bird I guess so he sits and is watching the bird and he starts thinking of Lenore again and while he's thinking of Lenore he realizes basically in his thoughts that he was thinking of Lenore too right before the bird showed up and now he thinks, what if this uh, bird is essentially a harbinger of the afterlife, basically? I was thinking of Lenore before and now it came. You know, are you, did you come because I called after Lenore? Are you meant to distract me um, essentially from her? But of course the raven responds nevermore again. So now he asks, because now he's kind of enthralled and kind of caught up in this idea of the bird being, you know, uh, a messenger from the underworld, right? Uh, is there happiness in the afterlife, basically? Nevermore. And so his next question is, okay, will I at least get to be with Lenore again in death? And the answer is once again, nevermore. And this despairs him, of course, uh, pisses him off. So he yells at the bird to leave him, but the bird will not. 
uh, and now that he has been visited by this bird and has gotten this bird's response, he can't shake his depression um, based on the thoughts uh, that were seemingly answered by this bird's response of the fact that there is no you know, solace in heaven. There is no happy re-meeting with his lover after he dies. Um, he can't shake that, basically. And that's the end of the poem. So the raven has been a huge, like, focused thing um, for Poe. Uh, one of the most criticized in terms of, like, trying to figure out um, like potential meanings, theories, things like that. Uh, basically, the the largest thing about uh, the Raven is is and the most widely accepted, I would say, that people kind of think is the the most logical. Um, this is around the time that uh, his wife Virginia, Poe's wife Virginia, had fallen ill before she dies. So. She's falling ill and it is very soon to die. Um, and it's pretty obvious at this point in his life that, you know, she's not going to live through this. Um, in terms of her name, the other thing that was happening in this moment in Poe's life was outside of his wife being suddenly ill and probably not going to live through it, his brother his sibling, remember, from that was also an orphan, had also very recently died. And his brother's name was William Henry Leonard Poe. So he, people believe that he kind of took Leonard from his brother's name and kind of crafted it into a woman's name to sort of mourn uh, a dead wife or lover figure yeah basically um, because Virginia Clem is the only um, love interest really that we have super confirmed for Poe uh, the only other sort of love or affair that we are aware of in Poe's life is very briefly it was uh, he actually got a certificate or um, a license or whatever you call it to marry someone named Sarah Elmira Royster. Um, but this was like kind of early on in his life and he never actually followed through with it. He never got married to this woman, whoever she is. Um, and that's all we really know about her. Mm -hmm. So in, if you recognize the name Lenore, uh, it's because uh, Lenore, as the name, has lived on kind of an in infamy uh, in, you know, gothic and dark literature discussions. And so we get a lot of, you know, like influenced um, dark horror or, you know, gothic or pop culture references to characters named Lenore and things like that. Um, and in fact, this isn't the first time that Lenore as a name pops up for Poe. He actually also has another poem that is literally entitled Lenore. And it is about a, the young woman named Lenore and her dying too young, um, basically. So 
it seems to kind of track with the reference here in his other poem in the Raven uh, of Lenore. It kind of seems like this could be the same um, character or at least um, figure in his works. And the last thing is uh, I said when I was uh, talking about the, the poem that the Raven um, perches on a bust of what Poe says is palace. So when he says this, what he's referring to is palace Athena. Uh, Athena is I'm sure a, a name that many people much more readily, easily remember and recognize rather than Pallas. Uh, Athena is of course a uh, Greek goddess. Uh, and Pallas Athena is essentially the, what, sh what she's referenced by more so when she's being referenced um, as the, uh, the, the warrior aspect or the, um, the kind of like wisdom sort of aspect of Athena. Uh, and Athena herself is a pretty interesting Greek deity. Uh, she's one of the uh, like only women deities that doesn't um, like fuck around with anyone really. Like not even just men, but like women or animals because that definitely happens <laughs> in Greek mythology a lot. Uh, yeah. But like Athena's it's like she ain't about it she ain't about sex she's about like knowing her shit and knowledge uh yeah she's about knowledge and about being strong basically and about like dignity almost is kind of like the overriding sort of like a uh, value that she upholds because if she recognizes in someone the values that she likes if she if she kind of claims you and somebody does one of her people wrong uh, oh you're fucked like you're legit like she'll fuck your life up for touching her one of her people basically um but she doesn't ever like she's not one of those like greek goddesses that is like oh she slept with zeus at the very least which like every other goddess has of course um but like, no, she doesn't do that. She doesn't like sleep around. She doesn't do none of that stuff. So um, it's very interesting that he's got Athena as a bust in his room uh, and that they're talking about his kind of like dead wife. And this is where, you know, the raven decides to perch. Uh, you know, Athena is, is a very interesting, complex Greek goddess. Uh, she is viewed very dichotomously from feminists. Some feminists really uh, think that uh, she super embodies like woman empowerment and doesn't need no man. But some feminists think that uh, it's kind of like a like a fake feminism, sort of like she's a she's a man sellout version of what a what a woman is like she can't be an empowered woman without acting like a man basically um so kind of like whatever part of that discussion you you know fall into it is definitely a very interesting uh you know poe poe knew what he was doing he was a literary critic so his 
his thoughts were always on, oh, what does this symbolize in what I'm writing? You know, what could people take from this part, you know, in this word? He was a very careful writer. Uh, so he didn't just put that in there for no reason. So people have a lot of fun with um, thinking about, you know, the myriad possible reasons that Athena is the bust that uh, the raven sits on. You know, Athena, for instance, is... Uh, uh the reason that uh medusa becomes uh you know gets her her badass snake haircut so that she can you know fuck people up because she uh was uh wronged and raped and uh was an athena's um one of athena's like altar girls basically and athena was oh cool well if you touch my girl i'm gonna make her the baddest motherfucker you know gorgon that ever you did see so that none of y'all fucking touch her ever again that's what you guys fucking get for touching one of my girls basically you know anyway that's all i got i shot i shot my shot thanks so the cool thing i will say um or not i guess not cool but um <laughs> if you if you are not interested in reading edgar Allan poe which thankfully sam read uh the raven for you um so you got to enjoy that but if if you're not interested in reading the short stories there are literally hundreds of visual re- renditions of both yeah. the telltale heart and the raven um yeah. Some notable ones that I can think of, I know it was, uh, I think the Raven was done on Animaniacs for sure. I know both the Animani- or both uh, the Raven and the Telltale Heart were both covered by the Simpsons um, at different points in their runs in the, in the 90s. Um, a lot of different companies have done renditions on the Raven and the Telltale Heart. So if reading actual reading is not really your style um and you're more of a visual learner and aren't good at visualizing things in your head like look it up google it youtube it there are a lot of different versions of the raven and they're all pretty well done to the story most people don't mess with it too much the simpsons like change the names a little bit uh i think to make it you know, relevant to like it being Homer and Bart, but right, Simpsony. <laughs> yeah, they made it Simpsony, but you'll still understand like the complexities of this that the story is trying to get across from you. If what we're saying isn't interesting enough for you, uh, there are a lot of other mediums where you can check out both of these stories and a lot of other Edgar Allan Poe stories because, like Sam said many times, he is the American king of gothic. Oh, storytelling basically and yeah all sorts of stuff comes back to edgar Allan poe in art all over the in place in fact uh, i you know probably this will uh this will release when uh the covid pandemic is still probably occurring hopefully by the time you guys hear this it is getting better you know and we're not in a in a still getting worse area but instead of in uh, an upward tick uh here's to hoping for that but um lots of people have uh in particular 
Trump getting the coronavirus, uh, lots of people have likened it to the Mask of the Red Death uh, by Edgar Allan Poe, which uh, I considered covering, but I was kind of like, eh. Uh, you know, it's a I'll little it too on the nose. Yeah. A little too on the nose for the time. Just a little, just a little bit. But uh, yeah, uh, they they likened it essentially to a, a. It's a it's a pretty it's too on the nose for a reason. Like people are not wrong to be like thinking of this situation and going like, huh, this is like the exact plot of the Mask of the Red Death, <laughs> except in 2020, and not in the 1800s. Uh, yeah, essentially, uh, what's going on now? put it in the 1800s and you got yourself a mask of the red death <laughs> by Edgar Allan Poe essentially yeah. so like uh you know he he's got some just really interesting shit you know cask of amontillado uh fucking cementing people into the walls before uh you know Jason never thought or whoever it is that I'm thinking of that uh like puts people in walls oh h h holmes that's who i'm thinking of <laughs> america's first serial killer yeah people are nuts and for sure that's yeah <laughs> but a lot of a lot of those insane ideas came from edgar Allan poe's twisted ass mind so thank you poe for coming up with all these cool and horrible ideas truly it's wonderful all right, now for something not nearly as dark and creepy and scary <laughs> as anything Edgar Allan Poe ever did, but something more uh, modern and happy. I, this week, in keeping with my Disney movies that Sam and I loved when we were kids, um, I chose to do the movie Smart House. Smart House is great! Oh my god, I'm so excited. I chose right when oh Sam god. was drinking so she couldn't respond right away and it killed it her. It took me it a almost second. almost killed her. It, took, it did. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. All right. So Smart House is a Disney original movie that came out in 1999. It was made for TV. It was a decom. Um, mm-hmm. And it's great. If you have never seen the movie Smart House, I highly recommend you watch it if you have kids. If you're just a regular adult, this is probably not the movie for you unless you watched it when you were a kid. Like many of the movies that I have talked about on this podcast so far. Yeah. To be fair, though, at least with Smart House, like, adults have, like, a point of comparison that they can, like, relate it to. Like, nowadays we have Alexas, you know, that kind of connect our house in very much a similar fashion uh, as the Smart House does. Yes. Okay. So Smart House uh, is a genius title that literally describes the entire plot of this movie. Um, (laughs) Basically, this uh, computer engineer named Sarah creates this um, Alexa Siri-ish computer system and programs it to run a house that is like super complex electrically it's got like floor suckers 
like or vacuum things in the floor so you don't have to like sweep at all it just like instantly absorbs things into the floor it the kitchen is completely automated like you just walk in and tell your kitchen what you want to eat and it makes the kitchen things that you want to eat it's basically like anything you've ever seen on star trek like when they're way in the future and they go to the holodeck and they can just be like, hey, I want this to happen and then I want this to happen and it's like fucking magic, like that's what's happening. Um, That's basically what this smart house is. So this woman, Sarah, she creates um, this complex uh, AI system called Pat to run this household. She has all these safety precautions built in so that, you know, if there's like an electrical shortage or a fire or anything like, you know, Pat knows what to do. Pat is able to communicate with the people inside the house. So you can say, Pat, I'd like popcorn. And she just like magically makes popcorn appear. Popcorn, Katie. Yeah. Or Pat, I want to watch The Simpsons and magically on an entire wall seemingly of the led or lcd screen the simpsons will be playing on the screen simpsons yeah yeah so basically every wall in the house is an lcd screen and you know pat is integrated into every aspect of the house she can change the water temperature for your showers she can set alarms and you know help you with your homework and do all these different things so sarah creates this house and the company that made the house that helped finance the making of this house runs a contest to give away the house basically to a lucky family to test it basically they want to make sure that this house is good they're going to have yeah, they're going to have this family live in the house for a while, make sure there's no bugs, make sure nothing's weird, and to test kind of Pat's learning curve, because Pat does learn about you as the longer you live She's there. She is an AI. Yeah, she's yeah. not just the, like a program that has pre-recorded responses based on only yeah. pre-recorded She's, she's very know, much like, like Alexa, like the more, mm-hmm. or like your YouTube algorithm, like the more stuff you search, the more stuff you ask Alexa, it learns the, about more, you. the more tailored your responses are going to be. So the longer that these people are in the house, the more it learns about them. Now we enter onto the Cooper family. The Cooper family is made up of three characters. The son, Ryan Merriman, who literally every young person, a deke, a every deke young girl. Celeb. Yeah, he was a huge celebrity on Disney Channel. He was in a bunch of stuff, including Luck of the Irish and the 13th mm-hmm. Year and all these other things. Like he was the kid um, for a while. Uh, Ryan Merriman, um, he plays Ben. He's like 13 you know like he was in all of the decoms because he was famous right. for like a year even um, when he and- grows up his face he's still a 13 year old face looking little baby right? <laughs> right okay and then his sister angie who is played by katie volding who if you probably don't recognize that name because she's not super big but if you watched decoms at all as a kid you would recognize her from brink she was the mm-hmm. little sister where she played a character named katie 
Um, and she said my favorite line from the entire movie of Brink that was just skate better. That was nice. It. That's the best line in that whole movie. Yes. And then their father, Nick. Now, as the story goes along, we find out that the they have lost their mom. Uh, their mother died at some point uh, when Katie was young. She doesn't, re- Katie doesn't, or sorry, not Katie. Angie doesn't remember her we very go. well. Um, she's starting to forget kind of about her mom. She's, I right. think, like eight or nine in this movie. They never specify yeah. her age specifically, but she's roughly. She is second- under 10 for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like, she's like second, third grade, something like that. Cause she is in a there is a scene where she's working on like her spelling words and her math homework and it's about mm-hmm. second or third grade in the night in the late 90s so she's like second or third grade ben is in middle school and they've lost their mom to they never ever say but they don't have a mom anymore and it's just nick trying to raise the family ben is filling in as much as he can as a mom trying to take care of things while his dad works and supports the family so like it opens on ben like making tuna casserole for dinner and you know making sure that katie has like or that angie has done her homework and done her you know done all these <laughs> you're things. gonna mess that shit up then that's because that's her regular that, <laughs> because not only is that her real name but that's also her name from like the her biggest character that I remember yes. when I was a kid. So it's going to be a problem and I'm sorry. Her <laughs> character name is Angie. Angie. Okay. Katie can't stop saying Katie. Yeah, what a weird coincidence. So um Ben has taken over attempted to take over as kind of a matriarch of the family as much as he can. Um, and he is 100% opposed to his dad dating. Like mm-hmm. it's been, we can see now it's been a while. Cause Kate, cause Angie doesn't uh, remember her mom very much. So we're, we can assume that her mom died when she was really young. Cause right. your memories start to, you don't really start developing mem- memories until you're like four or five. And yeah. the only time they show her like as a little kid with her mom, she was like three. So somewhere between three and eight, their mom died and her, uh, they don't yeah. remember Angie doesn't remember her very much. So this is a good point, like, I think to even further establish Ben's character, because I was, what I was going to say when you're talking about Ben being against his, like, dad dating was, like, from what I remember of this movie, he is the, like, super quintessential middle school attitude kid that has a fucking chip on their shoulder and hates the fucking world. No, he is. like, he's literally like exhibit a if you look it up in the dictionary it's a picture of ben um and it actually makes even more sense that he's like that when you think of this and you think of the fact that oh you know what she was probably around you know three or four when her mom died and she's now seven or eight you know and so it's been a couple of years already since yeah. the loss of their mom. So Ben yeah. and his father have gotten into this routine of Ben taking on more of responsibility, being the one that his dad relies on, them being just the three of them as a family. It's 
been established for Ben at this point. It's like it, it yeah. makes a lot more sense with his issues that come later in the movie. Yeah. So we figure out that Katie, Jesus, I'm going to do it every time. Angie, <laughs> Angie is starting to really itch for a female figure in her life. You know, she's right on the cusp of puberty. She's, she needs a female figure somewhere in her life. And she's really, you know, she doesn't think of it as someone replacing their mom. She just thinks of it as someone, someone, a female figure to have around and someone to make their dad happy. Meanwhile, Ben is completely on the other side of the fence. He's like, well, you don't really remember mom. I don't want to replace mom. Dad is perfectly happy with how we have it. He doesn't need anyone. We don't need blah, anyone blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yeah, we don't need anyone else. I'll, I'm going to make it so that there's nothing that we ever we need. need. Dad doesn't need anything. So he sees this contest in the paper about the smart house. And he enters it and he enters it over and over and over again, because in 1999, when the Internet was relatively new to people, Mm -hmm. there was no limit to shit. There wasn't like one entry per family for this. Like you could just enter. They weren't all like, oh, I see your server. Your server has already put in a fucking no. Your your IP address has already done some shit. No, they Mm -hmm. didn't give a fuck. So Ben stayed up like for three days basically and just entered as many times as he could enter clicking that refresh it's taken fucking 20 minutes every time it refreshes and every 20 minutes he fucking yes it's funny because they they do reference uh the 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 oldest technology they reference in this movie is the fact that when he's entering this contest he has to be online constantly and his dad confronts him and is like when are you gonna Mm -hmm. get offline bruh i need to use use the the fucking phone yes for those of you who are too young to remember this uh back in the old (laughs) days we're gonna call it the old days um in the early days of the internet you used to have to dial up which is something that many of you probably aren't really familiar with Mm -hmm. anymore or probably have just tried to wipe it from your memory yeah it ran on the (laughs) same current like electrical current basically as your phone line did it it ran through your phone line at the same so, time yeah so you had to have uh your f- computer hooked into your phone line and then when you wanted to access the internet it would tie up your phone line like someone else was on the phone so mm-hmm. basically your if you got online unless you had purchased it. a second phone line that was it like no one's calling your house you're shit mm-hmm. out of luck so being a teenage kid at the time, Ben's like, I don't give a fuck. All my friends are online. I'm going to get online. We're just going to hang out and, you know, I don't know, play Oregon Trail cool. or some shit. Because it was 1999. What the fuck else is this kid doing? Like, there wasn't shit online at ni- in 1999. Pajama Sam. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah. Uh, so, so he enters this contest a whole bunch of times and... Um, he falls asleep at his computer the day, the last day of the entries. He falls asleep at his computer entering so many times. The um, contest ends at 10 o'clock 
and they ha- the Sarah and the developers are in the house and she asks Pat, who is the AI that's running the house, to pick a winner. She pulls the Coopers and they try to call them, but they can't because Ben She's fell asleep online. <laughs> so their phone line is tied up all night while he's just asleep. Oh, so they're tr- the company is trying and trying and trying to get a hold of them and they can't because their their phone line is tied up. So he gets to school the next day. He wakes up late. He's like, "Fuck, was anybody gonna wake me up? Like, what? Come on, guys!" Right. And everyone's like, "Dude, why didn't you set an alarm? You're a big kid." Right. Like, <laughs> He's like I fell asleep. My bad. So he goes to school. He didn't. You know he barely got a chance to get offline right as they're leaving the house the phone rings and he goes to try and answer it and his dad's like no we gotta go like it's time for school we're gonna be late so they rush out the door and they go to school he gets to school and people in school are just congratulating him and he's like the fuck like what did i do like that was Mm -hmm. weird you've never talked to me before but right awesome thanks He gets into class and someone hands him a newspaper with the news story that has broken that he won. His family won the smart house. And he's like, oh, shit. shit. I have to go call my dad and let him know. So he calls his dad, lets him know. His dad's like, there's got to be a catch. What the fuck? So after school, they go to a ceremony um, about the basically the the giving away of the house to do a, a walkthrough of the house to you know to see if the dad finds it suitable and okay and if he, any yeah basically if if he's willing to make the jump to to let their right. to move their family in for a while to kind of test it out so sarah is showing them around the house and sarah and nick the dad have an instant connection and Angie sees this right away. She's like, I saw the way you looked at her dad. Like, you got a mm-hmm. thing for her. So, Sarah. To be fair, show- she's hella cute. What the hell is that actress's name? Because she, she was really also cute. a decom celeb back then. Jessica Steen. Jessica Steen. She was yeah. in like everything back then. So, I looked her up and I can't find anything that she was in uh, that I recognized like decom wise but she was in a bunch of other random stuff she was like in armageddon she was in stargate she was in an episode of supernatural like there it is yeah that's what you know her from she's been in a bunch of of different stuff yeah she was like in an episode of Grey's anatomy and a bunch of episodes of ncis she's one of those faces that is like if there has been a long running more than three season show on tv she was in it probably been a guest star yeah (laughs) yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. she's like a c-list celebrity like she's been in all the things in the background of all your favorite shows so they're walking around the house kind of getting everything figured out. They have to do this bio scan um, so Pat can get to know them a little bit better. So they have to put their hand on a basically hand scanner and it scans their like it gets their fingerprints and stuff. It takes their temperature and then they get a little like basically one of those uh, diabetes pin pricks gets taken and Pat gets yeah a lancet gets to learn everything about them so she spouts this like dump truck of information about angie 
after Angie takes her thing and she's like, Angie, age eight, does, you know, in second grade, you know, had pneumonia as a kid and did this and did that and had a broken arm and did this, like lists all of her basic medical history from that one little pinprick. And you really get to see like the ability of the house and the AI that Sarah has created. You're like, holy fuck, that is some intense shit. That's some shit. Yeah, even like to today's standards, like it's been 21 yeah, years now, say, and like, it's like holy that's fuck. some shit. I don't even know if we even have anything that comes close to that type of shit today. Still, I mean, you could Google somebody, and if you're willing to pay all of the paywalls that come up, for you sure. Could but find I mean, all this person's information. But I mean, but- like, right? Yeah, you can find it if you look for it. But I'm saying, like, technology that, like, okay, I can take your blood, and just from your blood, I can tell, like, your fucking yeah. medical history. Like, that's some yeah. No, shit. that doesn't exist. That doesn't no. exist fucking hospitals can't even tell your medical history even like from hospital to hospital like oh you grew up here let me get your medical history oh wait they don't have it or they won't send it to me i can't get it you just tell me your bet what you remember the most right yeah Yeah, that's a comprehensive well you know capitalism so everyone's against each other so yeah right can we just fucking not (laughs) like how about we just get all the doctors on the same fucking program? Like maybe we all do all the across same the shit? country. We should and all then just, maybe like, we together. just like email records. Like that's not I that's fine. If it'll help save lives, who gives a fuck? Okay. I'm a doctor. But it, I'm a doctor. Sorry. Yeah. We I digress. digress. We digress. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of shit there. But we could go on for a while. Yes. Okay. So we get to see Pat's AI in action. She clearly like has now learned the basics of Katie uh, or of Angie, but doesn't know her like uh, her wants and stuff yet. Uh, And Sarah goes on to explain like the longer you're in the house and the more you interact with Pat, the more she will learn about you. Just like I said earlier, just like Alexa and Siri and all of those things, the more you ask and the more you talk to it, the more it's going to understand what you want and what you want to see it's going to give you recommendation it's gonna you know and the cool thing about pat is because she does have this innate medical ability like medical knowledge of people she she has a breathalyzer sensor in her kitchen so when you walk in and you say something she has these like analyzers somewhere in the kitchen that can tell what you have eaten recently and what is currently missing in your diet. So like she has, she has uh, been say, Sarah has been say something in the kitchen and she goes into this, uh, you know, computer jargon. Like you've, Pat says, uh, your balance of fruits and vegetables are good. You take in enough protein, but your sugar intake is too high. You need to lay off the sweets and something in and then she recommends like something that is yeah. best to get him to the right that will place fill up that yeah what do you need yes so basically this is like the ideal house of the future and like something akin to the jetsons like yeah it, very like, very like the house the house knows exactly what you need at any given time and is willing to help you okay so nick agrees he's like okay we're gonna stay here for a while we'll see how it works out and sarah's like sweet let me know how it goes 
Pat has my number if you need to call me. And well, Nick tries to make a move at her and try to get her phone number, you know, for quality control purposes, right? Like what if the house, something goes wrong with the house, but really he's just hitting mm-hmm. on her and wants her phone number to talk to her. Thousand percent. And, and she's like, uh, Pat has <laughs> it. Pat has it. Just ask Pat and Pat will call me. And he's like, okay, sweet. So they stay the night in the house um, and everything's going great. Like it, uh, Pat prepares like a great dinner that's like full of nutritious value. She's showing like different video screens like throughout the house. Like they watch a movie in the living room and they eat a breakfast like on a prairie basically. Like it's mm. it's the whole thing. Like she's got L- yeah. LED screens everywhere. She's teaching them or- She's setting the moods, ex- you know? Yeah, experiences basically. Like uh, Ben wakes up to the final buzzer of a championship basketball game. And Angie wakes up to Mickey Mouse conducting the symphony at the Hollywood Bowl to like fireworks and stuff. It's like, it's Crazy. super cool. Crazy. Yes. It's, it's super fucking cool. So- they, you know, they're getting used to living in the house and uh, the next day, like after they get home from school that day, um, Angie and Ben are talking and Angie says, you know, dad like Sarah, right? And Ben's like, what are you talking about? No, no. he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't need anybody like he's got us. He, We've got a smart house. Everything that I can't take care of for the family, Pat can take care of like we're good he doesn't need anybody and he gets super defensive about it mm-hmm. and as a kid when i watched this movie i will admit i didn't like i just took it as like yeah they don't need another fucking mom like how dare right. you try to replace their mom like i was totally like, on ben's side to do yeah but now watching it as an adult it's definitely more of like kid you have some serious issues that you need to take care of and you need to understand that just because you're happy with how the situation is right now doesn't mean that your doesn't dad that couldn't be happier. Is. Well, yeah. and I think that the whole point is like, are you happy with the situation that's going well, yeah. on right now? Or is it that you have established a routine that yeah. was your coping mechanism and now you have, you know, being challenged in that and being able to grow? That's some difficult shit for someone who's young like that that like he's the older sibling but he's still really young like losing a a a parent as young as he was when you can still remember that kind of stuff that that's super hard and it's funny that you mentioned that like as a kid when you were watching this like that's how you reacted so when I was a kid and I was watching this uh you know I had already by this time gone through the divorce with my parents and so for me I was the opposite when I was watching this I actually could understand why Angie was so excited and I could also understand why Ben was so upset because it was the same feelings that I had felt you know when my mom was like I think I'm gonna you know marry your step you know the guy who eventually become my stepdad like she it was a whole thing that she like talks to me about one day in our house yeah and I was kind of like you really want to like do that like he's gonna yeah. be around like all the time though like, <laughs> like yeah. do we need but, him <laughs> but, but even but even that though like 
even even you at you know eight or nine was further into the grieving process like stage oh, yeah. than Ben is it. in this exactly. movie like he mm-hmm. wasn't even okay with his dad even liking he had somebody taken their, exactly he had taken their their situation and the routine had become his coping mechanism and yeah. it was really clear sure. that that he had not actually gone through some really important grieving processes for for being, sure his age and it's not that isn't anything to say about his dad because his dad was obviously a working dad he was the only parent that was taking care of two children uh like you know he was trying his best you never see their dad be like any sort of a bad parent he's a normal parent not doing anything wrong it's just there's only so much you can do and ben needed some help that he had not gotten yet at that point you know so basically, Ben and Angie talk about this and Ben's like, oh, no, I got to shut this shit down. I have to make it so that Pat is everything that dad could possibly want, you know, because he's 13. He doesn't understand at this point or is maybe he does understand, but is unwilling to kind of admit that his dad like might have other needs than just like the here's my food and here's here's my yeah like i i have food i have shelter i have my family that's all i need it's like no like there's when you're an adult yeah there's an there's some other necessary components of relationships some physical affection you know a necessity of physical affection that most people need you don't quite get it yet child yeah you know (laughs) and and that's part of this story too you know because ben does have feelings for a girl in his class um that cut co- that kind of come and go through or come to fruition throughout this film um right. so he kind of eventually starts to understand like oh there is another aspect that the house cannot like the house right. and us we can't fully do but you know right. there is that sexual desire and need that eventually is the dad's gonna have to do something you, about like right. you're not just yeah. you can't just let it boil up because then you'll start doing some dumb shit crazy shit so Ben decides I got to shut this shit down and he breaks into the control room of the house that night and Ooh. he de- he deletes all of the safety protocols within Pat's coding which okay like they didn't really touch on it in the film and I get it for time concerns they didn't really need to touch on it but right. what the fuck 13 year old Yes. coding genius in 1999 yes. was like ha 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 deleted oh like i see exactly what's going on no yeah, absolutely that, the that fuck is not 100 percent. even in 1999 if sarah had made a file that said like security and <laughs> or safety protocols like that kid wouldn't have been smart enough to fucking no, move it over and not. delete it or figure it, out it, how it, to the- get rid of the firewalls and all that kind of shit that would have been built into this programming yes if the challenge had been you need to change your myspace setup absolutely i would have been on board with that shit that would have been very believable because literally the only shit that kids could have code back then was 
I'm gonna make my fucking MySpace page the coolest yeah. MySpace page ever. Outside but that was, of that, but MySpace, fuck not. Yeah, but MySpace was still two years like after this. Like MySpace yes. wasn't even a thing in 1999. So the fact <laughs> that this kid just like sat in this control room and meddled with this control center and figured out how to delete zero, the safety controls zero sense makes zero sense but they didn't explain it and we just have to go with it okay flaws <laughs> in the plot line and then not only does he delete the safety protocols that are in place with pat which is like fucking one why two that's dangerous right. as fuck then he inserts these or i don't know what i can't remember if he like inserted dvds or if he just flipped to a channel or some shit Mm. but he he makes pat listen watch i guess watch i don't really know how a house would do that but watch all of these old like nick at night style maternity like mom level Mm. shows so basically yeah, shit yeah, yeah, like like leave it to beaver and i love lucy shows of that vein and right. he tells pat i want you to study these moms be like this and be more like these moms so she's learning you know these antiquated like 50s early 60s motherly ideals and adding it to her programming of the stuff that she is already doing so he does all that. He goes back to sleep. Whatever. He gets up the next day and realizes that Pat has changed into more of the 50s mom that he wanted her to be, I guess. Mm-hmm. And he kind of likes and dislikes it. He right. kind of he plays it off to his dad like, hey, you see, like Pat's learning. She's getting oh. to know us. She's being, you know, she's starting to be more motherly. She's, she's mom like, yeah, she's mom like, like we don't need anybody else. You know, he's trying to play it up to his side while at the same time being frustrated with the fact that now the mom has these antiquated ideals. And she is like, hey, pull up your pants because it's 1999 and everyone is sagging right now. Why the, like, pull up your fucking pants. Put them around your waist because that's where they go. So Mm -hmm. he's kind of struggling, starting to struggle a bit, like, with the weight of what he did. So being the 50s mom and a smart house, she overhears all the conversations that happen in the house. So her what is it he is talking to his dad and he realizes oh shit i didn't do so and so's homework mm. uh on the way to school they're on they're driving on the way to school and he's like oh i didn't do this other guy's homework like i'm going to he's going to beat me up and the dad's like the fuck that's not your job who gives a shit uh stand up to him so ben goes to school he stands up to his bully he gets hit in the face and then the next night at home, Pat is like, what the fuck? Happened who to hit, your face. Who, yeah. who hit my baby? Who hit yes. my baby? And it's a house. like. And he was just like, it's nothing, Pat. It's fine. You know, it's just this guy at school. I'll deal with it. It's fine. And she's like, oh, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. So she... She overhears, you know, several conversations in the house talking about, you know, 
specific names of people the bully uh the girl that he kind of likes you know the random things and then um later that night the dad nick calls sarah and he's like hey you want to go on a date let's do it so they plan a date for the next night and pat overhears this conversation and is like well hey the dad's gonna be out like and you the dad already said like i want the kids to have fun or right. I want Ben to have more friends or to be more social, to be more like a kid, basically, not like I a can parent. I can be your chaperone, yeah. So Pat sends out invitations to all of Ben's friends via his email address book and basically sets up a party to happen while Nick and Sarah are out on a date. Basically any middle schoolers like dream come true type of like response in terms of like, oh, cliche, I want to be popular. I want to throw a party, but I don't want to get caught by my parents. Like Mm -hmm. your your entire house is like, don't worry, kid, I fucking got you. I have everything at my disposal to be able to fix anything that goes on here in a fucking house party so that your parent will never fucking know what the hell happened. Yes. So it's a relatively uh, unsupervised party. Pat is there um, taking care of things. But, you know, she's only a house. She can only do so much. So Nick goes out on his date. Him and Sarah have a great time. They kiss. They, you know, they realize there's more going on than just like a friendship and they start to kind of fall in love and it's adorable meanwhile back at the house all the kids start arriving and they have uh what what me in seventh grade would have considered the most amazing party in existence but i look at now as like the lamest shit i've ever seen in my life (laughs) um they throw a house party basically all of the eighth graders essentially show up at this party. Angie is uh, the guest. She's working the guest list at the door, mm-hmm. telling people if they're allowed to come in or not. Um, so the girl that Ben likes shows up. They're, you know, flirty and whatever. And <laughs> they're fucking playing uh, Slam Dunk Defunk by Mm -hmm. five on one of the living room's giant lcd screens like whole walls and they're all dancing and having fun and at one point these kids have like make a fucking soul train and dance like you know come down the line dance in the soul train because that was a thing that kids in 1999 did sure absolutely okay but this is (laughs) But it was amazing. It was incredible, okay? Because, like, if I, if me in seventh grade or eighth grade, like, had a party like that or went to a party like that, it would have been the best party I'd ever been to in my life. It's essentially, like, did you ever, whenever you went to your fucking, like, middle school dances and, like, you're so young to the point that you want to, you want to throw parties, but you also don't know what a cool party is yet. And the only experience you have is the middle school dances. So when you throw your own party, you're like, what do we do at dances? We do this shit. Exactly. (laughs) That's what you do. 
That is a perfect description of what the party <laughs> in this movie is. So these kids are dancing and having a good time. And then the bully shows up at the door and Angie is like, uh, no, absolutely not. You're not allowed in my house. And Pat's like, no, it's okay. I specially invited him. So he comes into the party and whatever is happened, like everything's fine. And then he walks up to Ben and is, he basically tells the girl who's, I guess, kind of the popular girl in school, like, why are you dancing with this dweeb? Like, are you doing charity work? Like, what the fuck? And she's like, "Uh, no, bitch, I like him. She's like, no, not putting, not putting up with it. And he like that was the final straw so he starts to get in ben's face and then pat shines the spotlight in the house on him because she has control of all the lights much like your alexa currently does or like Mm -hmm. most people's alexa currently does and she basically bullies this kid into running out of the house crying like she just like she throws this horrible like calls his ass out for being a bully um she throws this like cgi skeleton head at him and it's like circling him like he's gonna Mm -hmm. die basically and honestly from an adult standpoint i was like damn that is not okay you are bullying a child like (laughs) like it was some problematic shit happening right now it was problematic, but also kind of what that kid deserved for being such a dick. So oh, it's like yeah. it sits in a weird it's in a weird place right now. For it's very for, cathartic if you've ever been yes. bullied, but also yes. as an adult, you look back and you know, like, man, what should have happened was a real adult should have sat this dumbass kid down yeah, and been it, like, "It was You're not a fucking the piece of shit. You need to like fucking wise up." Yeah, it was not the proper response. Uh, to take with a child but yes anyways that kid runs out of the party crying they go back to the party they have fun uh ben and uh or no angie rolls up to ben she was like off doing something else somewhere and she you know gets through (laughs) the fucking soul train uh we she's like weaving in and out of people to get to ben and she's like ben it is 10 23 like and Thank Ben's just coming. like, and Ben's just like, so what do I care? Uh, dumbass. Dad said he'd be home at 1030. It is now 1024. Like we need to get these people the fuck out of the house. Fucking minutes. Yeah. Six minutes to get all these fucks out of the house. So he basically yells, all the middle schoolers just fucking run out of the house because they're middle schoolers. They don't want to get in trouble either. Mm-hmm. So They run out of the house. The kids are looking like once the last kid runs out of the house, Ben and Angie are looking at the house and it's a fucking mess. Just as you imagine it would be if you had fucking 40, 13 year olds in your house with unlimited snacks because Pat is just supplying them with unlimited like popcorn and candy and soda and garbage. So, so there's unlimited snacks everywhere all over the house and pats and the kids are freaking out she's like shit dad's gonna be home in like five minutes like four minutes now what are we gonna do and pat's just like okay just throw it all on the floor and my carpet suckers will take care of it just throw it on the floor and they're like okay so there's a montage mad dash scene where they're like i'm just throwing throwing all the shit on the floor yeah they throw all the shit on the floor pat sucks it all up and as soon as the last little 
granule of popcorn is sucked up into the floor. The dad opens the door. The kids jump onto the couch, like as he's unlocking the door. The kids jump on the couch so they look like they've just been sleeping, hanging there, out, essentially hanging out. <laughs> and the dad walks in the door and he's like, How was your night? And the kids lie and like, oh, you know, we were watching quiet, some quiet na- some nature documentary or something and we fell asleep. Right. Um, we must have fallen asleep, like it was a good night. Um, how was your night? And they're looking and they notice that the girl that Ben likes had thrown her sweater like on top of a plant or something, and mm-hmm. they forgot to clean it up. So they get busted for that party. And the dad is pissed at Ben and Angie and Pat because Pat was supposed to be in charge and make sure that nothing stupid happened. Right. So Nick is, he's furious because everyone just fucked up. Um, Meanwhile, Ben is mad because his dad went on a date. You know, he's he's still angry, even though his dad already, already went on the date. He's like, you're just trying to erase mom. You're trying to do all this. And the dad has to has sit him down and have a heart to heart, which is, you know, classic decom. Um, yeah. Has to have a heart to heart. Like, no, I'm not trying to replace your mom. No one will re- ever replace your mom. But, you know, I really like Sarah. You need to give her a chance. Stop being a bitch, basically. Right. So they go through all that and pat decides like she overhears all this of course because she's a sentient fucking house mm-hmm. and she's like oh no ben doesn't want this i don't want this i want my baby to be happy um right. that means sarah is no longer allowed in this house i'm gonna bust sarah and nick's relationship up uh. like we're not we're not having that and then she creates a hologram figure of herself uh taking the bodily figure of her voice which is the great katie seagal and fucking katie seagal katie seagal is incredible um i love her so much she was peggy bundy on married with children she has been in a she's in sense of anarchy thing she's sons of anarchy she's the voice of uh leela from futurama she's like she's everywhere okay katie seagal is fucking great okay so this sentient house has now created a hologram uh via the life form body real life body of katie seagal and she's dressed like a 50s house mom and she is laying down the law in this house exactly like Mm -hmm. a 50s mom would do so these kids are not allowed to use any type of language that in the 50s would be deemed inappropriate they're not allowed to dress in any way that in the 50s would have been deemed appropriate um she's very much acting like a strict grandma would because remember that this movie takes place in 1999 so it's been quite a while and ideals have changed since the 50s right. but because your of, grandma now would probably act exactly like this yeah. yes but because of ben's meddling into her programming this is who she is now so she sees that nick and sarah are starting to become a thing and she wants to shut it down she sees herself now as the only motherly figure that these kids need the only woman that this family needs in their life so she basically 
like Sarah is over because something weird is happening with like the dad recognizes that something weird is happening with Pat. So she goes in to right. check um, stuff that's happening. And basically Pat's like, no, we don't need you get out of the house and mm-hmm. kicks Sarah out. And then she puts the whole house on lockdown. So the kids and the dad are trapped in the house. Sarah is outside of the house trying to figure out how to get in. And basically this house essentially becomes like a murder house. You're like, what mm-hmm. the fuck? This super smart computer house is about to destroy me prison. because it's a yes. prison now. Like I'm trapped in a fucking prison. And um, the dad is trying to reason with Pat like, okay, you know, we understand that, you know, you, you don't Your want concerns. me, to, you don't yeah. want me to be in a relationship or whatever, but you know, we can't stay in this house forever. You know, we need to have to go out. We, I'm going to have to go to work. You know, yeah. Yes. I have to go to work. And she's like, well, you can work from home and the kids have to go to school. And she's like, well, haven't you guys heard of homeschooling? And then she, the kid them, yeah. is like, I need to, the kids need to go outside and exercise. And she's like, I have all the exercise equipment you guys could ever need. Um, And the kids need to socialize. Well, they can socialize over email. Basically, Pat comes up with all these uh, reasons that the family doesn't need to leave the house and they can stay in the house infinitely, basically to keep them prisoner. So... The family's freaking the fuck out. Angie, who's only eight, is clearly like yeah. scared as shit. What the as fuck is happening? Yes. Ben is finally starting to realize that, oh, damn, I fucked up. Um, and it comes clean. Like, I messed with the programming. I changed Pat to do this or whatever. And then Sarah breaks into the house. Uh, like, she uses. Um, the house has this arm that extends off of the front porch, like this weird mechanical arm to collect the newspaper and pick up things that like packages and stuff and bring them in the house. So the newspaper comes that morning and Pat Pat's arm extends out of the house to grab it. And Sarah grabs onto the arm and gets back into the house that way. So Sarah's in the house. She's trying to figure out how to fix it. And when Sarah gets into the house and gets back with the rest of the family, Pat goes insane. She's like, I'm all you'll ever need. Very angry. You know, her AI has learned so much. Like, I'm all you'll ever need. I'm this, I'm that. Like, you don't need anything. And she grows her AI or not AI. Her She grows her um, holographic body to be twice as big as it should be she's like fucking 20 foot tall and yelling at this family and causing like a tornado in their house basically like you don't need anybody else i will take care of all of you we don't need sarah i am all you guys will ever need i've got you ben i've got you angie like i've got i will take care of this is what i was made to do i was born to do this yeah yeah so basically her ai has learned so much about this family and so much about their needs and the bullshit like decoding and re-encrypting shit that ben did um that she's become super possessive of the family and threat is basically threatening their lives so yeah sarah makes contact with the other developer who was on the house project has him grab all the schematics and all the different things and they work out a plot and they basically unplug pat and 
cause her demise essentially and make and they get rid of it they're like nope nope this is stupid this is a bad (laughs) poorly planned idea you know and a for idea (laughs) a d minus for execution yes exactly (laughs) and they come come out of this event on the other side with ben kind of realizing that sarah is a worthwhile partner for his dad that he's kind of been like an ass about the whole thing and that you know he needs to let his dad live his life that having another woman in their lives isn't necessarily going to erase what their mom was it will you know she'll never replace the mom or whatever and she's an addition to the family she is not a replacement family member yes and then without pat uh around to just wreak havoc on the family they live happily ever after and seemingly the dad gets married to sarah but we don't ever see that it's just like right they, Pat, they're Pat is around still but they've but they've like they've stripped the like super ai portion of it so now yeah. it is it she's is no longer learning she's just alexa no. she yeah she is literally just the like She'll only do what you ask her to do now. She doesn't yeah. do things unprompted without Which, you. You know, I know that for a movie, it had to, they had to add in Ben kind of tinkering with her to kind of add to the craziness of Pat. But I'm actually really intrigued about what would have happened if he had just left Pat, like what her learning curve would have been. And would what she have done. ended, would she have ended up in the same like that's what I was that's that's a good question because now that I'm older and we're talking about this you make me think of exactly like when I was young I didn't question the fact that like oh shit he fucked shit up but now that I'm older and we have Alexa and Siri and all those kinds of things you're right I'm pretty sure probably one of the things that he accidentally didn't understand that he was doing was probably a a safety protocol measure of uh of setting parameters to types of things that pat can and cannot consider as options in their like ai understanding because you can set parameters for your ais for you know you can this option taking this action you literally cannot ever do that. That is not in your functioning. Even if you learn in your AI, like learning curve, information that would make you want to do that, you don't have the capability because the programmer doesn't allow that capability to occur. I wonder if one of the safety protocols was him stripping the AI of any sort of um, like dire circumstance type of um, like bans on those type of decisions. Like, oh, you can only lock down the house in the prison style if there's a bomb that goes off, right? But that was taken away. So now she can obviously do that if she decides to feel angry, right? Those types of things. Well, and if he hadn't like instituted the hey, learn all about 50s mothers because like yeah. parenting has changed a so lot. much, so much. But I mean, I mean, even between what is right now and what is 
what was 1999. Like I was watching this film and being like, wow, that was not what you should have done. But okay. Uh Um, (laughs) So like in the 20 years between when this movie came out and where it is right now, parenting has changed immensely. It's insane to even fathom at right now how much parenting had changed between 1999 when this film came out and the 1950s which is all those moms that he was kind of putting on tv to make pat learn so like if he hadn't had done all of that where would that ai have ended up where what would she have learned would she have watched the shows that the kids were watching and seen the moms like in I don't know what was popular in 1999, like Fresh Prince of Bel Air and Family right. Matters, and Sister, you know, Sister. Would, yeah, like would uh, she have seen Full House? Like would she have seen the motherly yeah, characters House. in those like 90s shows and realized, oh, this is the Boy way I need world. to parent? Yeah, would she have seen all of those characters and kind of taken those ideas in, um, like? how would that have affected her AI? Like, is she learning from the stuff that the kids are watching or is she only learning like that these are the things that the kids like to watch? Because- Well, if if they, he took, he took away her, her safety protocols and he gave her a directive. And when you, if you are considered, if you have access to direct AI functioning or AI, like learning capabilities, she might have, given those specific types of media precedence over other things that she encountered because of that like directive from Ben yeah and I think too now that we're talking about this like wow how clear of a a statement this this movie was probably kind of trying to make about like modern parenting because Okay, if you gave a a 1960s or 1950s housewife full power, like beyond anything you could ever imagine, she can do anything she wants or needs to, and you handed that to a 1950s or 1960s housewife, this is the outcome. So a kind of a clear like... uh, condemning almost of the the sort of ideals and the sort of like uh, approaches to like thinking about your children and thinking about like the family unit and the family dynamics and like a household types of like rhetoric that was going on in the late 90s early 2000s of, of the you know the idea of the nuclear family is dead you know, that a quote unquote nuclear family isn't a bad thing to have, but it's not the only type of family and it's not the right type of family for everyone. Some people don't need and should not have quote unquote nuclear families. It doesn't yeah. work for them. Some people need different ways of parenting and different ways of a family dynamic and a family makeup. And like, wow, like, the kind of strong statement that movie is really making there of, yeah. you know, a household of a, uh, of a single parent, you know, we would call it essentially a broken household, even though it wasn't a divorce that took the mom away, uh, you know, but that like a, a single family house that is dealing with, 
with, you know, kid trauma of having to deal with having a step parent that's dealing with single parent issues of trying to juggle responsibilities, being able to, to take care of your children and give them the attention they need without also, you know, stifling them uh, and also without kind of treating them arbitrarily, like, you know, just little like pod people that like, as long as I feed them and get them to school and bring them home on time, you know, they're doing fine. Yeah. Types of like considerations. Yeah. How, how interesting the types of kind of like undercurrent themes you can see in there. You know what I find interesting now that I'm thinking about this, I wonder how different the, this movie would have been if, if it had been a mom and the AI would have been a dude. Yeah, that would be interesting. I don't know that, you know, I don't see, I don't know, because in the nineties, a lot of shows dealt, did deal with the single parent um, idea. There was a lot of that, like, or just one parent is taking care of everything. Right. But to my mind, the only reason I can ever think of in my head to, as to why it was only one parent is because of a death. So either the dad died or the mom died. I, cannot remember for the life of me any show or movie or anything where it was because of a divorce divorce happening Mm -hmm. which is weird because that was the most common reason for people to be raised by a single parent now and in the 90s but anyways I don't know that something like this would work with a male figure as the house because it would have definitely been a different movie i think well i think they would have had to change the sexes of the kids as well i don't Mm. think i don't think a male like the protagonist being a 13 year old male would have worked with trying to get his mom not to date a man because boys don't Actually, that's not necessarily true. I was going to say, actually, the the sort of like the firstborn man, like think of like Dean Winchester and like Mary Winchester. Well, what I was going to say is, is the way that they would go about disrupting a relationship would not necessarily have been to attack the AI or to change the AI in a way that it works like, oh, I'm going to make this AI be a dad. Whenever I see movies where it's like a teen boy trying to stop his mom from dating, it's always, how can I sabotage this relationship in a way where this guy's never going to come back? And it's always the boy pulling like pranks on the guy. Like, Mm. I'm going to get my kid's sister to act ridiculous so much so that the guy gets scared off or i'm gonna put you know marshmallows melted marshmallows all over the inside of his car or i'm gonna you know pop a tire like pop one of his tires with i'm gonna be so fucking annoying that he doesn't ever want to deal with us ever again yeah 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 like i know that i mean i'm dealing with complete tropes that happened in the 90s. No, no, you're right. That was that, but but no, you're, you're totally right. That was the absolute kind of norm um, caricature of that character. Yes. For, for a, for a young, for a young teenage boy to be dealing with his mom dating someone else, I don't think he would have necessarily gone to, I can make this male AI act like a father figure. I think it would have devolved into some kind of like, I'm going to do pranks and shit on this male figure that's now in my life and whatever. And it wouldn't have worked if it was like, okay, I'm going to show off 
these 1950s character caricatures of dads because right. there has I would argue that there has never been an ideal caricature of dads on television except for the 90s where it was like Carl Winslow and Uncle Phil and Danny Tanner like those were the those are the ideal dads and everything before that was super duper strict and like would hurt people like it was okay to spank your kids in the 50s and the dad the dad dad was the bad cop. Yeah, Parents in are good all, cops, bad cops, and dads are bad cops. Yeah. Yeah. In all of those early television references, the dads were always like the the enforcers. So I don't think it would have necessarily worked to have a teen boy still be the protagonist. I feel like if you switched the AI to a man and it to a single mother trying to raise kids, you would have had to also switch it to a teenage girl who's, you know, com- like competing with her mom. And a young boy who is just wants to see his mom be happy because then you get the tension of, you know, the same sex tension that is happening between like, I don't want another woman in my life or I don't want another man to replace my dad. Basically the teen girl would be like, I don't want to, I don't want a man to replace my dad. And the little boy's like, I just want a dad around period the end like yeah. i want someone to teach me how to throw a football and to do all these right. you know, quote-unquote dad things so i think they'd have to completely switch all of the sexes not it just be, it would be a gender bend a full gender bend yeah they couldn't i don't think they could just do like oh this is just a dad ai and keep it going like just switch the parents i don't think that would work very just because just because of all the weird tropes that yeah because yeah because of the, the makeup of the time no you're totally right i i agree i think we probably could have made it work today because the writing could have been nuanced enough but for sure in the 90 in the late 90s slash early 2000s no you're absolutely right um the way that the the characterizations of um parents uh and their gendered sort of takes and uh um characteristics for sure yeah um anyway that was just kind of like my my curious thoughts when I was thinking about this right now and thinking about like how the AI sort of spirals and I guess this movie too sort of speaks to the whole scare of the like you know iRobot dystopian future of, oh for sure are robots going to suddenly try and take over our lives ah. oh, for sure watching this from a from a 2020 standpoint rather than a 1999 standpoint like when i watched this originally as a kid i thought holy shit this is the coolest house I've ever seen. How- the first memory that I have of Smart House, this is this speaks to like what we would have been thinking of when we were kids watching this. We weren't thinking of any of this shit. My first memory when I hear the words Smart House is Angie jumping up and down on her bed like to listening to the Dixie, yeah to yeah like listening to the dixie chicks or something nope. like that yeah. nope nope it was, was say, it? it was say la vie Sing by it. bewitched uh say you will say you won't yes say you'll say do you'll what do. i don't yes that's what it yeah. was i couldn't remember what the song was but like that's my first memory 
the minute you say smart house, my brain sees that first before yeah. anything else of what I remember from the movie. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So in 1999 as a kid, the idea of a house that could do all these things was so far in the future to me that it was a fun fantasy to live in like wouldn't that be so fucking cool and now here in 2020 like we're halfway there um i mean we don't to my knowledge we i mean we might be more than halfway there you know i'm not rich by any means i have no idea what's happening they we've got some stuff Uh, we our apps our ring system i can lock and unlock my front door yeah oh yeah well i I mean i know that stuff i'm talking like so we've got alexa and ring and siri and all of these different versions of uh ai and helping programs that can be involved in your house and they can do all sorts of things like change they can lock all your doors they can turn on your tvs they can change the color of your light bulbs or how bright Mm -hmm. or dark they are um they can, you know, you can change your thermostat while you're sitting at a restaurant so Yay. that your house, so that your house Sorry. is cool when you get home. You know, there's all these different things that you can control with the touch of a button on your phone. Um, and it's incredible how far we've come in 20 years. But when I was, you know, 13 in 1999, like I didn't think that any of this was going to happen in my lifetime. Like it was just a fun fantasy. Right. And we're, and you know, we're still, as far as I know, pretty far away from food just appearing like oh i want a chocolate milkshake and like oh, my yeah, house yeah. producing sure. a chocolate milkshake you know we're so that, far that shit from... ain't about to happen anytime soon yeah we're so far <laughs> from that aspect of it that it's still plausible and incredible and yeah. it's incredibly plausible like in a in a sense that I hope that it happens, but I'm not holding my breath for it to happen. Right. It's going to um, be a while. But the idea that a house can, you know, you can control all the locks and you can do all this and you can ask it to do that. Like, that's real life. That's what we're living right now. So this movie was a cool, like, flashback to kind of see where we were. And also mm-hmm. kind of cool what as, we uh, like, how how far we've come and how close we are to actual smart house. Like, yeah. The fact that you could ask Pat, like, okay, I want to watch a nature documentary and it would just happen. Like I could do that right now in, into my TV remote. Like I just hit the microphone button and say, Alexa, show me, um, show me, show me cheetahs in the wild and fucking a cheetah documentary will pop up. It's like, like we're more than halfway there. The only aspect of the smart house that is, that has yet to be realized is the food aspect um and i guess the water like warming up the water aspect like that's not a thing yet but i'm sure we'll get there (laughs) i I feel like we're not far off on the water but we're still quite a ways off on the food (laughs) i mean like that that, i mean that would be a fucking good thing to have i you know cape town there's some places in south africa and that you know global warming has fucking hit like we need to be developing some of this technology and it needs to go there fucking first because there are some places 
they they won't have water like we're legitimately scheduled to run out of water by this year like april of this year and they like somehow elongated it because of um you know like rationing kind of like what california did basically but on an extreme level and like you know Oh, we could get into it. We could get into a huge old discussion about climate change yes. and but preservations. To wrap up this story, Smart House is <laughs> a, Smart House is a good movie. Um, again, if you have kids, I definitely recommend watching this movie. Um, if, if you don't have kids and you watched it when you were a kid, I recommend watching it again. Um, it's really cool to see how much of the stuff that the smart house can do has become true to our lives these days now in 2020, you know, 20 years on. So maybe 20 years from now, we'll another 20 years from now in 2040, we'll have all the abilities that the smart house had, who knows? Right. Um, Who knows? But it's a really good movie. I recommend you watch it. You don't got to watch it if you're just, you know, a random adult who's never heard, seen or heard of this movie. Like, it's probably not for you because it is right. like a child movie. And if, if you, you didn't... do end up watching it, just be prepared for some weird shit because some, it'll, it'll some seem ridiculous Disney crazy. cheese. <laughs> yeah. yes. uh, so S- Sam brought it up a minute ago. I do have to give a huge shout out to uh, the band the girl group Bewitched for having their music video for C'est La Vie in this uh, say movie. Say you will, say you won't, say you'll do what I don't. Yeah, yes, I can't believe fantastic. that I forgot that that's the song. It's fantastic. Um, and for the group Five for having uh, Slam Dunk the Funk also be a music video in this film. Um, mm-hmm. For anyone who watched the Disney Channel in the late 90s, you are should be very familiar with both of these songs as like in between shows, they would do the thing where like the star of whatever show would do the ears. Right. And like they would draw watching, the ears. They would corner. draw the ears with their magic wand, and it was like, "You're thank you for watching Disney Channel." And then it would go into instead of having commercials because Disney Channel was fantastic like that. Right. They didn't have they commercials. Would show a music they video. showed music videos, and fifty percent of the music videos were by Disney stars, like the little kids that were on the shows. Right. So you could see like Hilary Duff and Lizzie McGuire, Christy Carlson, Romano, and Raven Simone, and all these yeah, people like. Yeah, yeah. Sing random Disney songs or their own songs from their own albums. And then they would play these other songs that were quote unquote Disney appropriate. They were not overly sexual and they, the videos weren't overly sexual as well. Like the songs weren't sexual in content or in visual. And they were just like fun teen like dance songs and slam dunk the funk and say la vie were both of those and they played them all the time on the disney channel like i can just i can remember all the words to say la vie because they played it so many times on disney channel i have not once ever heard that song on the radio but i know all the words because of how many times they played it on disney channel the minute you started singing it i was like yeah that's the song i can't believe i fucking forgot that song that's exactly it yeah (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So shout out to this movie for being what I think is the first movie to really include like a music, like a popular music video of the time into it. Uh, I think before then a lot of like there was a lot of popular music in other Disney films in other DCOMs. 
but this was the first one that really included like the videos or the actual like singers and stuff until they got later into it where like oh we're gonna have Aaron Carter in this scene where he's singing a song and we're gonna go to an Aaron Carter concert or whatever the fuck Aaron Carter (laughs) Jesus Christ Aaron fucking Carter I had a friend that was from elementary school that like was obsessed with Aaron Carter like she is the friend you because you can say it's you it's all right no it was no it was not it was not me because I was obsessed with lots of guys like I told you guys Gregory Swift was my fucking man so I had my fucking walls papered with Gregory Smith but this is what fucking early 2000 kids did you got fucking magazines you tore the shit out of those magazine like cover photos and you posted you fucking push pinned that shit into your fucking walls everywhere all over every inch of exposed wall or ceiling and like so like mine was a bunch of stuff but Gregory Smith was my dude but no I had a fucking friend that was obsessed with Aaron Carter you walked into her room and it was floor to fucking ceiling and beyond Aaron Carter like big ass posters and magazine cut like on her ceiling she if she lay down her ceiling was like Back to front, side to side, you're looking at Aaron Carter. Like, damn. Yeah. Sorry. So it's all right. F- I haven't heard the words Aaron Carter in a long time. And saying that just <laughs> immediately took me back to the bedroom yeah. of my friend. Yeah. So uh, check out Smart House if you get a chance. Uh, a fun fact sure. that I was reading earlier that made me actually laugh out loud is the director of this film. This movie was directed by none other than LeVar Burton, who is Jordy LaForge from Star Trek The Next Generation and also the host of The Reading Rainbow. So uh, I didn't know that he was a director at he all. He directed this? Yeah. That's what? why I laughed. That's why I laughed because I was like, the fuck? I didn't know LeVar Burton directed shit. Like, I didn't know that was his thing. Like I've watched, I watched as much things that LeVar Burton was in as I could, um, but I did not know that he fucking did <laughs> Smart House. So I was blown away when I read that. I was like, "What the fuck?" I can't. All, I my brain short circuited. <laughs> I am struggling. Holy crap, LeVar Burton. Oh my God. Yes. Reading Rainbow just came back recently. So, like, I know. I'm so happy. People should know at least the name, even though they don't remember it. Oh, Reading Rainbow is so good. Did not remember that. Wow. He was also also the voice of Kwame in Captain Planet and the Planeteers, uh, which is one of my favorites. So, (laughs) sorry. I. As a child of the 90s, or of the, I guess of the 80s, I was born in the 80s, but I grew up in the 90s, and I watched everything the 80s had to offer, or the 90s had to offer, so 
yeah. they were literally at the perfect time like I know everyone talks about how like their like childhood was the perfect childhood but like the 90s slash early 2000s legitimately were mm-hmm. a thousand percent the perfect childhood <laughs> everything yeah. was perfect everything was great the best shit came the fuck out yeah the- gushers i mean uh, you can see it now you can see it now in the stuff that's coming out or being um revitalized like that the 90s were so prevalent like there is not a time there wasn't a time where the 80s like the shows from the 80s like came back and did like reboots or continuations like that never happened same with the 70s 60s with 50s whatever like right. none of that ever got any of those there were spin-offs of course of those shows like right after they ended some back character in it would have a spin-off but but a lot of the shows from the 90s have resurged and, and gotten rebooted like there or was extenuated a, you extended, know girl meets yeah. world versus Boy oh meets girl world. meets world is so good and oh. also f- there's a fuller house which is a continuation mm-hmm. of the full house story now with the girls all being adults um there's a lot of like instances where stuff from the 90s has been brought back because us kids from the 90s love it so much and found the story our childhood well and our adulthoods found the stories yeah. to be so worthwhile that we want them made so that our kids and future like younger kids they can grow up with them. us yeah. yeah so like things that you might if you're young and you're listening to this podcast first off thank you and please watch your mouth sorry that we do not um <laughs> But if you're young and you're listening to this, uh, think of if you turn on the Disney Channel right now, you're probably watching DuckTales. And that is a show from the 90s. Ni- that's a reboot of a 90s show that yeah, we grew up loving. Uh, Fuller House, again, is a like a reboot of a 90s show that we grew up loving. Um, they're coming back with Animaniacs is making a comeback later this year. And the Animaniacs. Yes, nah, nah, there's nah, and nah, nah, nah. Disney Channel and it's in itself uh, are redoing or coming back with reboots of some of their most popular shows from the early 2000s. Like I know Lizzie McGuire is getting a reboot and uh, Raven. That's so Raven Listen, got, had a reboot. Um, I'm where, fucking there for every fucking early 2000s Disney Channel. Like I'm yeah. so fucking there. Well, Lizzie McGuire, should... I think, format like was a formative fucking influence on my personality in middle oh, school. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Wow. You were one hundred percent Lizzie. That's okay. I was one hundred percent Miranda. So. In fact, it's funny you, if you say underst- that. If you understand that reference, good for you. You're as old as we are. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> Thank you. I see you. I recognize you. Uh, yes. No, uh, in fact, I was so much Lizzie McGuire that I legitimately had, like, hair pieces. Like, I had, like, a, a couple hair bands and a couple of, um, like, hair accessories. That was a thing 
in like the early 2000s, late 1990s. Uh, I had a few things that actually were fucking used that Lizzie in Lizzie McGuire wore and had in her fucking hair in the show. Like I had that shit already for some of them. And some of them I would like find and I would buy later. But like that was how deep that character was in my soul. Yeah. Lizzie McGuire. So, sorry, we're going to go on a diatribe about Disney, <laughs> about Lizzie McGuire for a minute. Um, when Lizzie McGuire came out, I was in middle school. I was 13. I was the age of these kids. And that show was so important to me as a kid. Yes. Like, it, they covered all these different aspects of being 13 that things you weren't comfortable with talking to your parents about um they covered it in a way that was understandable and relatable like lizzie's first crush and lizzie you know get people getting their periods and boys boy best friends the entire like the idea of boy best friends and the ability to differentiate a friend from like a from a friend to a relationship or not like right. that whole concept was very difficult to understand in those years is a very difficult concept to understand as a kid like why can't I be friends with this person just because we're 14 now or 13 like right and learning how to transition from you know we're just friends to no I kind of like you like we've been is, friends right exactly is it just a friendship or do I actually like yeah you exactly? and there were and there were so many big concepts that that show dealt with. Very similar to Boy Meets World. Uh, yes. Though those kids were a little bit older than me, like five or six but years. But they started I- They started younger. So if you started and you went back, like if you were someone who would like try and like catch the like marathons, because that's what you had to do back in the day. We didn't have fucking yeah. Netflix, just FYI. You would have to like pay attention to the like TV lineups yeah. and all week you know, ABC would be like, on Saturday, oh, Boy Meets World Marathon all day. And you would be like, oh, I'm fucking doing literally nothing on Saturday. I'm watching Boy Meets World all motherfucking day. And it would, they would start it from episode one. So that's how you fucking caught up on fucking seasons of shit you didn't have Netflix at the click of a fucking button like that. You had to fucking work for it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But being like, so that show was so important to me when, um, when Disney plus came out in last year at some point, I can't remember when Mm -hmm. it came out, but when Disney plus came out, I, I did the pre-order. I was like, as soon as this is available to download on my fire stick, like we're getting yeah. Disney plus. So the very first thing I did when I downloaded Disney plus was watch the movie Brink because that is my all time favorite Disney movie that has ever existed ever. And someday I will cover that movie on this podcast and you will understand all my love for that movie. Um, but, <laughs> but the very first thing I did was watch Brink. And then I watched Johnny Tsunami, which was also very important to me. And the third thing I did was I binged the entirety of Lizzie McGuire. Mm -hmm. And even as an adult, 
like a 30 something year old that show was incredible to me the things that they were touching on and it was really cool to see all the different stuff like would-be stars who were on that show who later went on to do really great things right um and it's weird because i identified now with miranda even more so than i did as a teen like she was a badass like tomboy who was mm-hmm. struggling in much of the show. She was struggling with her identity as a tomboy and also somewhere between a girly girl. She was like somewhere in the right. middle of that, trying to figure out what the line was. Like she had grown up a tomboy, but was trying to like make herself a girly girl too. Cause she was starting to she like boys. Suddenly, yeah. And she was also suddenly interested a little bit in like, girly girl stuff she was yeah. interested a little bit in fashion she was interested a little bit in makeup but she yeah. wasn't super obsessed with it you know yeah and watching it as an adult it was just like oh damn I still felt seen like this is totally me like 20 years ago like mm-hmm. this was who I was and there's a really uh, there's an episode of it that stands out to me in particular about Miranda's life that it's one of the first times that we get to see her family dynamic. It's a Halloween episode. Oh yeah, the Dia de los Muertos. The Dia de los episode. Muertos episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, Miranda being of uh, Latina origin or being Latina is like finally part mm-hmm. of the conversation in the show. Like they've ignored right. it up until then because it hasn't been something that's important but right then they get to dia de los muertos and she's trying to show all of her white kid friends like no right. this is my culture this is how you, we yeah exactly this is how, how we, we celebrate things you don't and it was like god damn man how fucking good is this show like oh it was so good and the life lessons that the family is like trying to teach it's really good Lizzie, oh Watch Lizzie McGuire, guys. You will not be disappointed. Truly, even if, even honestly, if Lizzie McGuire. No, but it, here's the thing. So, and I can say this because of the fact that my siblings are so much older. So that, like, I have older like nieces and nephews and stuff now. That, like, Lizzie McGuire is one of those shows that it was done so well. It they hit they hit a thing that speaks to that exact preteen slash early teen era perfectly and it never changes it doesn't yeah. matter what generation you are at I, Michaela yeah. Michaela binge watched she did the same thing you did when Disney Plus came out she binge watched Lizzie McGuire yeah, and because it's I, perfect like, for her age. Know that Lizzie McGuire's what I was watching, honey, when I was your age, and she was like, "Oh my god, I love!" Like she was like, "I love this show." And when yeah. you watch it, the the way that they kind of they took that whole identity of being a preteen slash early teen, and the the strange ass things were in your head you're thinking this you're thinking all of these things and then what actually comes out of your mouth and what you actually do with your face and your body does not match what is happening inside your brain whatsoever yeah <laughs> that like they they took that aspect and they were like okay let's make a show entirely like 
created and crafted around that identity oh yeah the middle school experience the minute you hit puberty when your thoughts are all like jumbled up this and this stuff and you're thinking this stuff and this stuff and this stuff all the time but it never lines up with what you actually do with your body with your words with your actions and they were like, let's just fucking run with that. And they personified it in the Lizzie McGuire cartoon aspect. If you've never watched Lizzie McGuire, like that's her whole shtick is the fact that the the uh, protagonist, we get, um, she's the protagonist, so we watch what she does. But there's a narration aspect because what we get is also Lizzie McGuire's thoughts in the form of a cartoon caricature of lizzie in the actual like uh you know movements and action of the plot in every episode and that cartoon caricature demonstrates what's happening inside lizzie's head at each moment of what's going on in the story versus whatever is really happening in real life for her and it 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 categorizes and it and it it catalogs for her the lessons that she learns and the things that she kind of notices as she moves through growing up basically and realizing that like you know life is so much more complicated than it was when you were a child and it's such a brilliant brilliant characterization and portrayal of that moment in growing up the the amount of times that when I was a kid exactly that in that age the preteen slash early teens and you're doing shit and in your head you're like what am I doing why am I doing this this is stupid but you can't stop and you won't stop and so everything gets fucked up and in your brain you're like how did this happen i i had a plan you know (laughs) like oh yeah there's like it just perfectly embodies that disconnect between what's going on with your emotions versus your thoughts there's an infinite amount of references in that show or instances in that show i guess when she is talking to the cute boy that she likes where she mm-hmm. says something at, like she thinks of the perfect thing to say and her little cartoon character says this was the this mm-hmm. would have been the perfect thing to say and then she says something absolutely stupid or her cartoon caricature is like this is really like articulate this, af the yeah the cartoon character is like this isn't as big of a deal as you're making it like why are you you know why am i making such a big deal of this and then real life lizzie just says says some horrible shit to her mom like in an instant of anger like i'm so mad at you you know blah 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 you know we've all everyone gets not everyone but a lot of people go through that where they feel this like angst against their parents in that age where you know your parents are trying to do what's best yes your hormones take over you know you hate your little brother but you love him or whatever you know there were right. so many different parents, things but you love them yes yeah and there were so many instances in this show watching it now as an adult where i was like holy fuck this is so great 
I would I would argue that Lizzie McGuire is definitely the female version of Boy Meets World. Uh, For sure. And if you were a boy, you should like you should go and rewatch Boy Meets World and under like that will be the show that you identify with most um in the things that you're going through as a teen because Corey and Sean go through all Corey and Sean go through a lot of life lessony stuff that teen boys specifically will go through and Lizzie McGuire was that of the young teen the the middle school like I'm just speaking of early boy meets world not necessarily high school she goes exactly that Corey does. She goes all the way at the very least until the end of high school. And no, she then doesn't. Boy- yeah, she does. No, she doesn't. It's just middle school. It's two seasons. It's seventh and eighth grade. And then at the end of eighth grade, she goes on that trip, which is the movie. And she meets Paolo and whatever the I thought that the was fuck. the end of her being in high school. No, it's the end of eighth grade. She's only 14 at the end of the series. Jesus Christ. See, there, there you go. So there's the perfect, like... The fact that the like the emotional journey that goes yeah. with what you watch, damn! I fully fucking thought that they were actually in high school. That like so, so this for is half of the story. Yeah. So this is where. So if you are a middle school kid or have a middle school kid of either sex, I recommend watching the first couple of seasons of Boy Meets World where he is in middle school and yes. Lizzie McGuire. So you get yes. both the male and the female sides of the of growing experience. up. Yeah. Of the growing up experience. For the later part for high school, I still recommend Boy Meets World because Boy Meets yes. World was fucking great. And they covered Corey Matthews once, for forever. Well, well and once they got into high school, Topanga became a real part of the like central cast. She was no longer right. just the weird girl in seventh grade. She was now like one of the main characters. And right. you got to see growing up from her viewpoint as well. So Boy Meets World is good from like middle school through college. And yeah. um and Lizzie McGuire is good for just middle school. I can't yeah. think of a specific high school female protagonist show that is great um in regards to that because I honestly don't think that a lot of I can't think of it shows, at the moment. If it exists, I don't think- I'll probably go and like, because I'll probably go right now and like try and remember every single thing that we watched growing up. If it exists, I'll probably remember by next episode. (laughs) I I think Gilmore Girls, I think Gilmore Girls did a good job. Um, Gilmore Girls takes place of her, it's her in high school and through college, through their graduation in college. Yeah. But the, what I will say is that the, I the, uh, some of the ideas in Gilmore Girls are very mm. old-fashioned because they come yes. from such a small community. So yes. in in like Lizzie McGuire and Boy Meets World, they're in big cities. They're in Philadelphia, and I don't know where yes. Lizzie lives, but it's a relatively a big somewhere city. big, somewhere yeah. big. And she's dealing with lots of modern issues and modern ideas around her like the people around her have modern ideals and ideas but in Gilmore Girls a lot of the town because it's such a small town in Connecticut like they don't have they're not really forward thinking they're like oh like let's do this 
colonial whatever and a lot of the thoughts that she's grown up around are very old school so I don't know that it's necessarily the best look at what teen growing up is like but she does deal Rory Rory does deal with like those ideas and concepts in high school like a lot of them yeah dealing with like boys who like her and boys who don't and losing her virginity and all of these things having friends that you aren't sure are really your friends versus having friends that you think are your friends but end up not being your friends and yeah yeah yeah, I, the only that's the only one that comes to mind when I think of like a female protagonist in high school. Um, at the moment, I'll have to like sit down and really think about the yeah. shows that I watched. No, for sure. That weren't just like the OC where it was like, oh, everybody's rich and lives <laughs> by the ocean. Like that's not fucking real. Everyone's rich. Everyone lives by the ocean. Everyone's having sex. Get used to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not real life. That's. <laughs> that's, that's fantasy EOC bitch yeah yeah <laughs> but but even yeah so Lizzie McGuire was great Boy Meets World was great check them both out yeah this moral is a of the story we could go on for, for hours days ever about the shit that we watched about the shit that we still watch which is why we started this podcast because we were like if we were gonna go on and on and on why don't we just record ourselves and post it for posterity on the internet? So this was our episode and uh, we are so happy for you guys tuning in. Thank you so much. And if you are listening, you should continue listening to the show and you should also check out our uh, network, which is uh, the Katie network that she'll talk to you about right now. Uh, yeah, you can follow us uh, by checking us out on Twitter. You can see us at Allentown Pod. You can email us if you have any questions, comments, or concerns at allentownpresents at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook at Allentown Presents. You can find us for digital download pretty much anywhere that you listen to podcasts, uh, including but not limited to Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, all that garbage. We are on all of it. Uh, so thanks for checking out this episode of Real Lit. Yeah. Ooh. Bye. Keep it lit.